Chapter Four, Section Six, Part One of the Greek View of Life by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter Four, Section Six, Tragedy, Part One. The character of Greek tragedy was determined from the very beginning by the fact of its connection with religion. The season at which it was performed was the festival of Dionysus. About his altar the chorus danced, and the object of the performance was the representation of scenes out of the lives of ancient heroes. The subject of the drama was thus strictly prescribed. It must be selected out of a cycle of legends familiar to the audience, and whatever freedom might be allowed to the poet in his treatment of the theme, whatever the reflections he might embroider upon it, the speculative or ethical views, the criticism of contemporary life, all must be subservient to the main object originally proposed, the setting forth, for edification as well as for delight, of some episodes in the lives of those heroes of the past, who were considered not only to be greater than their descendants, but to be the sons of gods, and worthy themselves of worship as divine by this fundamental condition the tragedy of the greeks is distinguished sharply on the one hand from the shakespearean drama on the other from the classical drama of the french the tragedies of shakespeare are devoid one might say or at least comparatively devoid of all preconceptions he was free to choose what subject he liked, and to treat it as he would, and no sense of obligation to religious or other points of view, no feeling for traditions descended from a sacred past, and not likely to be handled by those who were their trustees for the future, sobered or restrained, for evil or for good, his half-barbaric genius. He flung himself upon life with the irresponsible ardour of the discoverer of a new continent, shaped and reshaped it as he chose, carved from it now the cynicism of measure for measure, now the despair of Hamlet and of Lear now the radiant magnanimity of the tempest and departed leaving behind him not a map or chart but a series of mutually incompatible landscapes what shakespeare gave in short was a many-sided representation of life what the greek dramatist gave was an interpretation but an interpretation not simply personal to himself, but representative of the national tradition and belief. 
the men whose deeds and passions he narrated were the patterns and examples on the one hand on the other the warnings of his race the gods who determined the fortunes they sang were working still among men the moral laws that ruled the past ruled the present too and the history of the hellenic race moved under a visible providence from its divine origin onward to an end that would be prosperous or the reverse according as later generations should continue to observe the worship and traditions of their fathers descended from heroes and gods and it is the fact that in this sense it was representative of the national consciousness that distinguishes the greek tragedy from the classical drama of the french for the latter though it imitated the ancients in outward form was inspired with a totally different spirit the kings and heroes whose fortunes it narrated were not the ancestors of the french race they had no root in its affections no connection with its religious beliefs no relation to its ethical conceptions the whole ideal set forth was not that which really inspired the nation but at best that which was supposed to inspire the court and the whole drama like a tree transplanted to an alien soil withers and dies for lack of the nourishment which the tragedy of the greeks unconsciously imbibed from its encompassing air of national tradition such then was the general character of the greek tragedy an interpretation of the national ideal let us now proceed to follow out some of the consequences involved in this conception in the first place the theme represented is the life and fate of ancient heroes of personages that is to say greater than ordinary men both for good and for evil in their qualities and in their achievements pregnant with fateful issues makers or marrers of the fortunes of the world tragic and terrible their destiny may be but never contemptible or squalid behind all suffering behind sin and crime must lie a redeeming magnanimity a complete villain says aristotle is not a tragic character for he has no hold upon the sympathies if he prosper it is an outrage on common human feeling if he fall into disaster it is merely what he deserves neither is it admissible to represent the misfortunes of a thoroughly good man for that is merely painful and distressing and least of all is it tolerable gratuitously to introduce mere baseness or madness 
or other aberrations from human nature the true tragic hero is a man of high place and birth who having a nature not ignoble has fallen into sin and pays in suffering the penalty of his act nothing could throw more light on the distinguishing characteristics of the greek drama than these few remarks of aristotle and nothing could better indicate how close in the greek mind was the connection between aesthetic and ethical judgments the canon of aristotle would exclude as proper themes for tragedy the character and fate say of richard the third the absolutely bad man suffering his appropriate desert or of kent and cordelia the absolutely good brought into unmerited affliction and that not merely because such themes offend the moral sense but because by so offending they destroy the proper pleasure of the tragic art the whole aesthetic effect is limited by ethical presuppositions and to outrage these is to defeat the very purpose of tragedy specially interesting in this connection are the strictures passed on euripides in the passage of the frogs of aristophanes to which allusion has already been made euripides is there accused of lowering the tragic art by introducing what women in love the central theme of modern tragedy it is the boast of aeschylus that there is not one of his plays which touches on this subject i never allowed of your lewd thenebuyas or filthy detestable phydras not i indeed i should doubt if my drama throughout exhibit an instance of woman in love and there can be little doubt that with a greek audience this would count to him as a merit and that the shifting of the centre of interest by euripides from the sterner passions of heroes and of kings to this tenderer phase of human feeling would be felt even by those whom it charmed to be a declension from the height of the older tragedy and to this limitation of subject corresponds a limitation of treatment the greek tragedy is composed from a definite point of view with the aim not merely to represent but also to interpret the theme underlying the whole construction of the plot the dialogue the reflections the lyric interludes is the intention to illustrate some general moral law some common and typical problem some fundamental truth of the elder dramatists at any rate 
aeschylus and sophocles one may even say that it was their purpose however imperfectly achieved to justify the ways of god to man to represent suffering as the punishment of sin is the constant bent of aeschylus to justify the law of god against the presumption of man is the central idea of sophocles in either case the whole tone is essentially religious to choose such a theme as lear to treat it as shakespeare has treated it to leave it as it were bleeding from a thousand wounds in mute and helpless entreaty for the healing that is never to be vouchsafed this would have been repulsive if not impossible to a greek tragedian without ever descending from concrete art to the abstractions of mere moralizing without ever attempting to substitute a verbal formula for the full and complex perception that grows out of a representation of life the ancient dramatists were nevertheless in the whole apprehension of their theme determined by a more or less conscious speculative bias the world to them was not merely a splendid chaos it was a divine plan and even in its darkest hollows its passes most perilous and bleak they have their hand though doubtful perhaps and faltering upon the clue that is to lead them up to the open sky it is consonant with this account of the nature of greek tragedy that it should have laid more stress upon action than upon character the interest was centred on the universal bearing of certain acts and situations on the light which the experience represented threw on the whole tendency and course of human life not on the sentiments and motives of the particular personages introduced the characters are broad and simple not developing for the most part but fixed and fitted therefore to be the mediums of direct action of simple issues and typical situations in the greek tragedy the general point of view predominates over the idiosyncrasies of particular persons it is human nature that is represented in the broad not this or that highly specialized variation and what we have indicated as the general aim the interpretation of life is never obscured by the predominance of exceptional and so to speak accidental characteristics man is the subject of the greek drama the subject of the modern novel is tom and dick finally to the realization of this general aim the whole form of the greek drama was admirably adapted 
it consisted very largely of conversations between two persons representing two opposed points of view and giving occasion for an almost scientific discussion of every problem of action raised in the play and between these conversations were inserted lyric odes in which the chorus commented on the situation bestowed advice or warning praise or blame and finally summed up the moral of the whole through the chorus in fact the poet could speak in his own person and impose upon the whole tragedy any tone which he desired periodically he could drop the dramatist and assume the preacher and thus ensure that his play should be what we have seen was its recognized ideal not merely a representation but an interpretation of life but this without ceasing to be a work of art in attempting to analyse in abstract terms the general character of the greek tragedy we have necessarily thrown into the shade what after all was its primary and most essential aspect an aspect however of which a full appreciation could only be attained not by a mere perusal of the text but by what is unfortunately forever beyond our power the witnessing of an actual representation as it was given on the greek stage for from a purely aesthetic point of view the greek drama must be reckoned among the most perfect of art forms end of chapter four section six part one recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey